When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back in. Today I have Coach Kane. He is the offensive line coach, run game coordinator at, probably say it wrong, Barrington College. Did I say it right? Or Barrington, I don't even know. Barton College. Barton, see, I'm a dumb country kid. I don't don't know how to talk. (laughs) Well, Coach, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, As you can see, I'm a stupid podcast guy because I always tell people I'm just a dumb old line coach. And people are like, no, you're not a dumb old line coach. You're just a line coach. And that's what they tell me. So I just go with it. Um, Coach, let's start with this. How did you end up there? Like, what was the path to get where you are today? Yeah, so uh, graduated college in uh, spring of 2018, finished playing fall of 2017. Uh, I'm from born and raised in North Carolina. Uh Uh, And after I graduated graduated college, uh, I started – Coaching high school football, did that for three years. Uh, you know, coached through the COVID season, which, you know, we we're fortunate enough to get five games in. We started off the season with 10 scheduled, then seven got, you know, was the yep. updated schedule. And then we got to five and we had two of them get canceled because of COVID. Mm-hmm. We we're able to pick up one more. It was just chaotic. Uh, but then the spring of 21, I got my first college position at uh, Quincy University uh, out in good old Illinois. Yep. I was there for six months, almost seven months as a graduate assistant offensive line coach. Uh, great experience. Learned so much about football, more than I thought I, I, thought I already knew. Mm-hmm. Um, then left there, went to Stonehill College, uh, another Division II, now FCS program. Uh, in Easton, Massachusetts, uh, was there and then got a call from the guy I worked for at Quincy, uh, because he played for the head coach here at Barton Uh and said, Hey, they're looking for an offensive line coach. You know, it's a chance for you to move back to North Carolina. Uh, and then long story short interview moved a week, uh, got here a week before spring ball and been here since so just finished my second season here uh this upcoming march will be my second full year was it a culture shock to go to quincy illinois out in the quad cities a little bit from north carolina because oh man so the the crazy thing is i coached two years of high school football in uh north carolina 
and then moved to Pennsylvania mm. and was there during COVID. So I moved yeah. from Pennsylvania to Quincy. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the, the frigid cold and wind chill and everything mm-hmm. was definitely a culture shock. Uh, you know, but the, the part of Quincy that I was in was, you know, similar to, to places I grew up in. So wasn't too bad, but man, you pass, you pass the Walmart in Quincy, you have no <laughs> cell service and you were looking at nothing but flat land. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I grew up, uh, 25 minutes east of Champaign-Urbana, where the U of I is. Oh, yeah. And, and then I went to college at Eastern Illinois, down in Charleston. Then I was coaching at Charleston High School for a very long time. And my last, my second to last game I ever coached at Charleston High School was at Quincy Notre Dame. So we had to okay. go from Charleston, Illinois, to Quincy Notre Dame, which was a four-hour bus ride. <laughs> and to go there to lose, like, 58-7, to seven, mind you. Like, it was bad. <laughs> And then having to come back, and I'm like, this is stupid. But going out there, for, like you said, go out there. I grew up with flatland, so everything is just normal. But going out that way is a whole different experience out there towards Quincy. And one of my buddies coaches a high school up here in the suburbs. They had to go to Quincy High School to play a playoff game, which is three and a half hours or four hours from here. I'm like, this is dumb. Why are you going all the way out there to play a playoff game? He's like, well, that's where they put us. Had to go yeah. all the way out there. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so it felt good to go back to North Carolina from Quincy, I bet. Like, hey, I'm going to go back. Because <laughs> you went somewhere else, then went there. So I bet it's nice to be back in North Carolina. Like, I have my woods. It's not as cold. It's not as, you know, flatland, corn everywhere. Yeah, now it's just the, you know, the other end of the spectrum. It's, you know, 98 degrees at 9 a.m., um, but – you know the the summer gets pretty brutal out here. The fall's not too bad. Uh, yeah. You know we always have a joke out here that we never really experience winter. We have about two weeks of winter. Uh-huh. It's really just second fall, and then we <laughs> hop right into spring. <laughs> then there's Illinois, where the winter may not hit till February. Oof. It's it's either going to hit us now, or it's going to hold off until middle of January, beginning of February. Then it starts to hit. Like, I remember coaching baseball two years ago. It was snowing, like, the day before our first game, like, March 12th. And I'm like, what is going on here? Like, it's just, like, three inches of snow. And we're like, okay. And then, like, what will happen is, when that happens, then you get into April, it skips spring and goes straight to, like, 85-degree weather. Like, it just makes this big oh, yeah. jump. Yeah, when I was at Quincy, we uh, it was during the, you know, when everyone was playing the COVID spring season. You know, having a 6 a.m. practice in February was brutal. <laughs> uh, what a horrible We had just time. gotten through signing day and everything, and it's, I mean, it's frigid out there. What a Not horrible enough time. What a horrible time that was. What a horrible, <laughs> like, because if you were around Illinois, you knew we had to wait till the spring, too, for, like, high school. And we only got six games, and some only got like three because of COVID or whatever it was. And I coached all three sports. So that spring in January started basketball. Then football overlapped with basketball. And then track overlapped with football. So I did all three. And I'll never forget this, and this pisses me off to this day. We're in track. We're getting near the end. And all of a sudden you get told, hey, June 7th, go back to normal. Everything's back to normal. So track ended June 4th. 
June 7th, that Monday, was right back to football, basketball, like in the summer for workouts. And I'm like, I just went through three seasons from January to, to March or uh, May. Now I got to do it all over again. Oh, yeah. I joke with people, you know, because not everywhere had spring seasons. You know, not every state did it. But, you know, I sit there and joke that fall during COVID, we had a season. wasn't a full season, but we had a season. Yeah, you know, five, six games, practices, all that stuff. Then I leave there, move halfway across the country, get a month of recruiting, and then we have another season. Ugh. Then leave there and move to Stonehill and have another season. It was like I didn't have a single month off of mm. not game planning for like a year until the until January of like 2022. And I was Jesus like, oh, this is what it's like to to breathe. <laughs> I was going to say, did you feel like a burnout? I would have felt a burnout. I did. in high school. Just from high school, I felt a burnout from doing the three sports, then the summer. Then we had that season in the fall. All of us coaches were burnt out because a lot of us do two or three sports. You could tell we, as coaches, were like grumpy and irritated. And we were like just burnt out. And I even said this at one point in the summer. I was like, is this what it's like to be a full-time college coach that just never stops at some point? And – I read you out to something. They go, no, you're doing way more than we do right now. And I'm like, Jesus, cry me. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, that probably about game five, six in the, the fall of 2021, I was, I mean, I'm coming in at 7 a.m. to work, yeah. leaving at 7 p.m. And I'm just like, yeah, I've been doing this since, since last fall. Like, yeah. it's just been. You know, the only time I had a little a little time to myself was over the summer, and then at right. that point, I'm I'm moving and doing things like that, and so it was like, yeah, the the burnout was a real issue, and then you know made it through the season, you know had a really good season, and then got the job down here and was right back into it. So yeah. I got down here a week before spring ball started. So so you know, you know nothing it, besides go 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 go. You know nothing. Yeah, I mean this is. This is, you know, probably one of the – or definitely the first time I've been able to sit down and, you know, go through a season, go through the off season, and be able to, like, catch my breath and do things. You just – you know, when, you, when you're trying to cut your teeth early on in the college setting, even in the high school setting, you know, your, your pay is not yeah. sometimes enough to, to live off of. And, you know, whether you, you love a location or not, sometimes you got to make decisions that, that help better you and your, your family and, and things like that. And, you know, love and passion for a place doesn't pay the bills sometimes. So, yep. you know, that was part of my thing moving early was, you know, I had to get somewhere that was financially stable enough to help get me on track, you know, as a now 28-year-old coach you know, spent six years to get to this point now, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, all right, you know, I didn't really make much in high school, mm-hmm. you know, just a monthly stipend for three months, you know, yep. I was having to work full-time jobs on the side as well, you know, then go be a GA and make nothing and then go to part, you know, restricted earnings. Mm-hmm. And then now to get to full-time, it's like, all right, I'm good for a little bit. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that's what um, Coach Nord, he's the O-line coach for the Raging Cajuns, he told me that. he's His life was so crazy. And he goes, I'm just now at a point, and it took him like 11 years to like get a spot. 
And he's like, I'm still, I'm okay now. He goes, but I'm still paying off what I had to do the 11 years beforehand. And I'm like, so I always ask people, like, I have a friend, uh, Coach Nick Davis. He's the head coach at Ottawa University in oh, AIA yeah. school. And I asked him that because he went through it all. He went through the, the grind of GA at Michigan, GA at other places. Finally got to Rose Holman and kind of like that was his breakout. But he lived off of food stamps. He did this. He did this. He did whatever he could. And now he's kind of made it. And I said, are you seeing less and less people doing that for a coach? Because I am. Like, if you were to ask me to do that now, I'm 33. I feel old. I know I'm not old, but I'm old. And I'm like, I couldn't do that now. To be a GA, to go live in a dorm and, and live off of whatever a month. Are you seeing maybe less do that because of how what they have to do to get there? Or Because it's almost like we almost want instant gratification nowadays. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think... There, there are still guys that want to cut their teeth, um, you know, and then there, you know, it's just like everything in life. There, there's going to be some people that that want to grind it out, and there's going to be some that 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 don't cut it. I, I have friends that have stepped away from college coaching, you know, and they go mm-hmm. coach high school football, or they just got out of coaching in general because the burnout rate is is pretty high. I mean, you you dedicate so much time every year just to play 11 games. Yep. You know, and then on top of that, you know, you could be 500 for two years in a row, three years in a row, and administration says that's not good enough and you know, lets you go. Right. And then you don't have that thing to fall back on. Right. You know, not saying that it doesn't happen, obviously, at the high school level. I have plenty of friends that have been let go for things, but, you know, at least you have – in some areas or some guys have teaching. So yep. if they get let go as the head football coach, they can still teach for the rest of the year until they find a new job. As right. we're typically with a college coach, if you're let go, you're, you're, you're out here st- stapling resumes at the convention, you right. know, trying to figure it out and, and do those things. Um, you know, we got some good. We have a good y- couple young guys on our staff. In the last school I was at, that that cut their teeth and you know are figuring it out. And mm-hmm. you know, it's that was kind of the thing I I told myself coming through, like playing at a small Division two school. You know, my network's already smaller than than some of these guys that come from. Oh, well, I walked on at you know Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I'll just I can GA after because I had a good relationship, right? You know, so have, coming from a smaller school, you know, not always the case, but for me it was a step by step by step to get to this point. And right. You know, like you were talking about earlier, you know, this isn't the end point, um, right? You know, as as a coach, as a young coach, I have goals and aspirations of, you know coaching at the highest level I can be at, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that is, whether it's, you know, maybe it is division two, maybe it's FCS, maybe it's FBS, maybe it's power five group of five, you know, heck maybe it's the NFL. I don't know, but you know, I feel like I do a disservice to myself if I, you know, don't try to reach for the stars and whatever happens from that point happens from that point. So, you know, that's just kind of, kind of my mindset with it. And I think, I think there are some young coaches that want to do it. And then, like you said, there's some that seek instant gratification or they see, you know, their buddy 
who may not have mm-hmm. done the same things they've done or have the resume that matches up with them get that job at, you know, insert university name, and mm-hmm. they were over here cutting their teeth at a D2, D3, NAIA, whatever. Right, right. Because it seems you have to know a lot. Like, obviously, you're going to know more than me because of where you are, but sometimes it's who you know, too, on top of that. Like, you really have to know people, like – when I first got coach at Charleston High School, a young coach, he really wanted to get into football. So he was like our freshman coach, JV guy. Then he GA'd at Eastern for two years. The old line coach he GA'd with got a job at Northern Iowa. Goes with him, goes to Northern Iowa, but he still GA's. There was no like, here's a spot for you, it's a GA. That kind of frustrated him, but he's like, I'm going to do what I have to do. Then the old line coach got a job at UTEP. Went with him to UTEP. Kind of the same thing, like, hey, you're just going to be this GA or what analyst thing. Then he goes, I'm done trying to get into college. He's like, I've seen a lot of shady stuff, the way things go. I'm going to coach high school ball. So now he coaches high school ball in Texas. And he goes, this is like coaching college anyway. So that's, that's just kind of what he does. And he's like, hey, Steve, it was too much. He's like, and that's a person that's, maybe that, like you said, maybe they found out that wasn't for them. Like, yeah. Um, he didn't want the instant gratification, but I think he thought about four years into it, like maybe I could have found a spot. But like you said, it took you years before you found a spot where you were comfortable with. And like talking to other people, like we can't, first of all, we can't find coaches. That's the first problem. Like we had four openings last year and it took us like seven months to fill it. Like we we just can't. Mm -hmm. And then I also feel like when you do try to get people like, well, I want to be the OC. I want to be this or I'm not coming. And it's like, what have you done to earn that? Oh, I coached youth football. That doesn't mean you could be at the high school coaching off like an offense coordinator. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So that's where that instant gratification thing comes in of, well, I know more than you and I want this, I want this, I want this. When you get into college and they're like, oh, I have to do video, I have to do this, I have to do this. I want to coach. And from talking to all you people, all, all you people, all you guys all over the country, yeah, I had to do that to do this. Like, and it paid off. So, oh, yeah. I mean, since. Since I got into the college setting, so when I was at Quincy, you know, I'm I'm assisting the head coach and coaching the offensive line, you know, setting up meeting rooms, doing all the, the grunt work, grading the film, mm-hmm. running practices, doing all that stuff. But then on the side running, you know, I was the equipment manager for uh-huh. 160 players, you know, right. having to track helmets and shoulder pads and pass it out and fix things and do this and do that. You know, then I move on to Stonehill, still coaching the offensive line, but now I'm in charge of you know, helping the head coach book hotels and <laughs> meal plans and yeah. things like that for road trips. Right. Then I come to I come to Barton. Now I'm coaching the offensive line. I'm coaching the tight ends. You know, but then I also handle all the video for for the team. You know, adding, deleting players. You know, making cut ups, sharing cut ups. You know sharing the, the film to the league pool, all that stuff. Right. And it's like, you know, the ultimate goal for me, obviously, is to get to a point where I can just focus on coaching the offensive line. Right. But all these all these extra tasks, I feel, have helped me understand and enjoy when I do get to coach the offensive line. You know, when I, when I get to go out there and practice for those two hours, I enjoy it more because it's like, well – this is your two-hour window because after this, you're going right back to your office yep. to, to cut film and put everything together. You spend another hour doing that, then you got to watch it, then you got to grade it, then you got to make notes, and then boom, you're in at six a.m., seven a.m. the next day. 
to review the same tape you just watched. Right, right. So, you know, I think it's given me a, a better appreciation for those two hours of practice, you know, whether it's a good season or a bad season. It's like, well, you know, it's part of my job. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's what the, the head man wants. And, you know, my job is, as an assistant is to take things off his plate and make it easier. Right. So, well, then also there's worse jobs out there than not doing football stuff, I, I would say, to people. Yeah. Like you could be working third shift in a graveyard. You could be scooping up horse manure, whatever it is. So at least a college coach just tell me, yeah, I'm busy, but guess what? It's football. Like, yeah, I'm busy. I'd rather be doing this than being a teacher again for some. They're like, I'd rather be doing this than worrying about oh. a, a 15-year-old's I parent mean, calling me. I mean, Coach, absolutely. Like, <laughs> I would much rather go through a season, do recruiting, do all this extra stuff, travel, all this stuff, than, you know, I spent four months, three months, something like that, uh, prior to COVID, being a substitute teacher in Pennsylvania and it's rough Yeah. or, you know, but right after that, my job during COVID, I was working at a children's rehabilitation center, you know, so I've had some jobs where I'm like, uh, I'd much rather just coach full time. Right. You know, right. so through all that, you know, I put everything in perspective. It could, it could always, like you said, you could always do something that's not with football. You know, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, Sometimes I joke, I'll joke with my parents, whatever. It's like, you know, I get paid to just like coach a game. Like, <laughs> I get paid to just like, blow a whistle, you know, draw some things on a board and, you know, yell at people to, you know, take a six inch step and, you know, get their eyes across backside. Like, right. <laughs> you, yeah, you get paid for that. And then, other people are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? Yeah, but seven a.m. to like nine p.m. But I still get paid to do it. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, maybe some weeks it's like 70, 80 hour work weeks to make the same amount of money that, you know, you probably make working 40 hours a week. But look, it's about the experience. <laughs> well, you can wear sweatpants and stuff to work and all that stuff. You get your own oh, yeah. office. I, mean, I only have to wear slacks on recruiting visits and game days. So, you know, That's true. sweats, sweats and shorts and hoodies and pullovers most of the time. So. And you know, I'm casual Friday every day. There you see, there's perks to everything. So there you go. <laughs> what was that the biggest adjustment going from high school to college is recruiting? Was that the biggest adjustment or just learning how practice and the film and stuff is because high school film compared to college film set up way different because we don't have the resources, we don't have any of that. Uh, would that be the biggest thing is like, for me, that'd be almost the big thing is recruiting, like being on top of it and making sure you're getting these kids and the pressure of having the kids. Would that be the biggest adjustment from high school to college? I think think the two biggest things were the things you touched on. I mean, recruiting in the sense of the rules behind it, because there's so many like small details. When can you contact the kid? What are you allowed to, to do for a kid when he comes on campus? Like, you know, what, what can you say? What can't you say? You know, all for like that whole process of learning the rules is more strenuous than the actual recruiting because, you know, I, I tell kids, I tell parents and, you know, it's not to sound like a jerk or anything, but you know, your pool of kids you can look at is so massive. Right. 
So like I tell kids, I may not be for everyone. You know, this, this college, this institution may not be the one for you, mm-hmm. but there's 10 other kids down the street, an hour away, two hours away that would gladly take this opportunity. Right. So like trying to understand that while trying to build a relationship, you got to build relationships with tens, twenties, hundreds of kids because you know, you're casting a giant net hoping to catch a couple fish. Right. And th- and that's, that's, that was the hardest part was, you know, early on I'd start recruiting a kid and I'm, I'm so focused on that one kid or those two, three kids. And it's like, well, you got to get three offensive linemen in this class, two receivers, three running backs, two quarterbacks, six D linemen, four linebackers. And like, that's what the whole staff has to get in. Right. And then per position group, you got to bring in X amount of guys. Hey, you got to get three scholarship kids and five walk-ons. So I can't spend my whole time talking to one kid Mm -hmm. and disregard the other ones because on signing day, I'll have one kid and no one else. And then the head man's going to be like, why did you not sign seven kids like I asked to? Right. So that was an adjustment. And then the film, you know, how detail-oriented college football is – you know, I've, I've seen and talked to some really good high school coaches that run their programs like college programs. You know, like you said, some, every school has different resources. Right. Uh, you know, but for me, I came from two smaller high schools that, you know, everyone too platooned, mm-hmm. you know. So watching film was just putting the tape on and we're just watching offense you know, an offensive series, then it turns to defense where just everyone stays in the room. We just keep watching for mm-hmm. a quarter, half game, whatever. You know, is where here or in the college setting, you're focused more so on your guys. Right. Like you're, right. you're watching your guys, you're critiquing them. You know, you have to make notes from practice. You have to, you know, be able to every meeting have something to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so – so being able to articulate the things you see in film, the the corrections and things like that was an adjustment because you, know, you can't just tell a kid he's got to take a better step. You got to tell him why he needs to take said step. Okay, if he takes said step better, here's the result he could see. Right. You know, you really have to paint a bigger picture. You know, where at the two high schools I was at, I could just say, hey, if you come off the ball a little bit harder or a little bit lower – or your first step gains some ground, you're going to be in a good situation. Right. You, know, so you got to be a little bit more precise with what you say. So those two things really were the biggest adjustments for me, you know, and then the stuff that people don't think about, you know, as a high school coach, I didn't have to think about, you know, kids leaving school because they can't afford it, you know, here and where college football is at now with the transfer portal and, and NIL and things like that. Thankfully the NIL stuff doesn't hit as much at the D two level, mm-hmm. but the transfer portal stuff's huge. I mean, we've been fortunate. We haven't had um, to this point, this is our, be our, this upcoming fall will be our fourth year playing. Um, you know, we've had a couple guys hit the portal, but not like some of the other schools in the conference region state, whatever. So that's something you worry about. Semester by semester, kids can come and go. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't lose any guys after this semester outside of my couple graduating guys. 
but then after the spring could mess around and lose four or five guys because, oh, well, I can't afford to pay to go to school anymore or, you know, my grades aren't good enough or I get in trouble or this or that. So, you know, that was the other thing is you spend so much time outside of practice babysitting and, you know, checking in on your guys and doing grade checks and, you know, talking to professors or, you know, talking on campus to people of power to be like, hey, you know, how's how's little Johnny doing? Okay, he's doing good, good. You know, just wanted to just want to check in on him or calling him to your office because maybe they bombed a test and you got to talk them through, you know, hey, got to pass your next one so you can, you know, get a C so you can be eligible for the season. Right. So, you know, all those off-field things, kids leaving campus and, you know, going to a party or, you know, doing things that, that most college kids do, you know, having to keep your phone on at three in the morning because what if someone needs you to come pick them up? Right. Or what, right. If, what if someone's in an accident or, you know, something happens, like you got to be able to to be there to help them out because you're their home away from home. Their mm-hmm. parents, their guardians trust you to to take care of them and your job doesn't stop just because they're not practicing. Right. That's what I just – I'm getting back in this podcasting. I just told another coach, like, we never stop high school or college. Like, you never stop being a coach. Like, it could be 10 o'clock tonight and a kid sends me a message. Hey, my girlfriend just broke up with me. And you're just like, all right, talk to me tomorrow. And then for some – like, to us, it's not a big deal. But for some reason, in, you know, in that moment for them, that is the biggest thing. That's the problem. Now, you could talk them out of it in 10 minutes. But you're like, come talk to me. Or they'll come talk to you and be like, hey, I don't want to go home because of my home situation. I coach with kids like that. They they would sit at the school and we'd be leaving and we look out like, what are you doing? Go home. They're like, we don't want to go home. We don't know where to go. Uh, we don't know where our next meal is coming from. So team meals, coaches never ate. We just gave it to them. Like we know who's not going to eat and like, Hey, take this home. Uh, oh, your grandma's sick. You guys can't afford this. Go take this. Oh, you're living out of your car. How can we help? And like, you just don't, parents don't think about that or the community doesn't know that. You know, and you're, and you're constantly worrying. You're constantly like, I hope this kid's okay. And, you know, and that's why I tell my kids now, where I coach at now is, guys, some of you have a rough home life. A lot of you don't. There's someone out there that has it worse. So when you complain about X, Y, and Z and ABC, remember, you've got it pretty good. Like, we have a field house with an indoor track. Some schools don't have that. Like, we have two turf football fields at our school. Like, you guys need to be gracious of what's going on. Some kids don't have this. At all. And people don't know that about coaching either. Oh, yeah. It's just like people don't understand if they're not in the profession that not all schools are created equal. No. You know, no. High school, you know, D3, D2, FCS, FBS, Power 5, Group of 5, whatever. Not all teams are created equal. You know, so going back to that recruiting process, you know, another tough part is – you know, packaging a kid just to come to campus, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the division two level for most schools, I don't want to speak for every school. Very rarely are we just passing out full rides, you know, because we, okay. we have 36 full scholarships to use. Okay. So we have to make those 36 full scholarships and not everyone has 36. Some people have 30, some people have 25, 20, whatever. So you have to make whatever you have stretch right. to sign a recruiting class, you know. So when you're packaging that kid like you're talking about that, 
you know, could be living out of their car, could be, you know, not wanting to go home and things like that. And you got to package that kid and then present a kid a, a an offer where they might still be paying back or taking out loans for five, ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I as much as I want to help you, like I've got to sign four kids for your for this position group. And if I give you all the money, I can't sign more kids. So right. now I'm taking away opportunities for other people. So right. you know, the the human aspect of it, like trying to be, you know, cognizant of what kids are going through or what families are going through, but then also understanding like there's other kids that need opportunities too, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said, someone's always got it worse. Yep. You know, yep. no matter how bad it is, there could always be someone who has it worse. So, you know, that to me, that was one of the toughest things in recruiting besides the rules is just like having a kid tell me his life story, knowing that he doesn't have much and then still being like, Hey, you know, the best I can do is you're taking out a loan for $5,000 a year mm-hmm. to be able to go to school. So, yeah. Well, uh, and then, like you said, with the transfer portal hasn't hit you guys yet, but to some people, I feel bad for college coaches. Now you have to like recruit them to stay, like you get them there. Now you got to make them happy to make sure they don't go and lose them, because then you then all of a sudden, like you said, if it's in the spring, you screw around and you lose, then you have to go dive into a portal and immediately try to try to fix it. And then now you're dealing with a kid that you maybe didn't put as much time in, or they came from this school, they run this system, and now you got to coach them to be in this system on top of dealing with brand new people you brought in. So, like, yes, us high school coaches have it rough, but, like, now with the way college football is going, you guys are just more and more, like, piled on top. Maybe not for you guys necessarily, but watching and listening. Because I don't believe everything I hear on ESPN. I just will text the college coach, like, hey, tell me what's really happening. Like, what what really oh, goes yeah. on? Um Coach Rodriguez at Akron, O-line coach, last last year, he's like, I had to get three out of the portal. He's like, they left, and I immediately had to go into the portal. And he's like, yeah. I've never been so exhausted. He's like, I've never been so exhausted trying to get kids. And he's like, and they're juniors, so now i got to deal with what system did you run? Oh, well, we're going to run this up-tempo, inside zone, wide zone thing, and you guys ran power. Like, we're, we're going to do this. So now you got to coach them into doing that on top of it. And yeah. You spend you spend so much time, you know, re-recruiting your guys every semester, every year, you know. So we've been, like I said, we've been fortunate that we haven't had a mass exodus to the transfer portal. Uh, most of our guys that do hit are, are graduate transfers that you know, maybe we didn't have their program or or something like that. But right. yeah, I mean, you spend most of your time re-recruiting your guys. Um, you know, just because all it takes is one person to say, oh, man, well, maybe you could play FCS, or you could do this, or you could do that, and then those kids are gone. Right. You know, and then, then on the, you know, recruiting the transfer portal is so difficult because, you know, for us, you know, it, it's – you're looking for kids that can come in and play immediately. Right. You know, you're not you're not typically bringing in a kid that 
and, and do everything for him to come in and sit the bench. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to recruit the kid. Then you have to spend time with the kid. Then you got to try to make the money make sense because, you know, maybe kid X was at this university and he was paying nothing. And now you got to try to compete with that. Mm-hmm. Then you have to compete with the fact that maybe maybe they played in a couple games at, at their university, their college, whatever. So now they think their price is that much higher. Right. Or, you know, they're – got a low transfer GPA. So now you got to package them differently or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, so it's, it, it is, it is tiresome. I mean, because there's so many kids in the portal, you know, but for a school like us or, or most division twos, you're trying to recruit guys that are either in state uh-huh. or, you know, within a, a decent drive because, you know, if a kid's from Texas and he's in the portal, oh, why is he going to come to North Carolina when he's got to pass, you know, a dozen plus states just to get to us? Right. So you have to you have to be precise on who you're recruiting and doing things like that. And then, you know, some of these kids, you know, think that, oh, I'm better than Division Two, or I'm this, or you know, I had a little bit of practice film, so. I'm moving up FBS or I'm doing this or doing that. So, you know, you spend some of your time just trying to figure out which kids have legitimate interest in you, mm-hmm. you know, which kids you can do this for and do that for. And, you know, it's, it's, it is tiring it is. <laughs> because with a high school kid, it's easier to, it's easier to sell a college because they don't have, they have no experience at a college. Right. You know, I can't go recruit a kid that goes to, or a transfer kid, even if he walks on from, you know, Chapel Hill. Because we're not going to compete even on the base level. You know, yeah, we'll compete with money, but that kid was practicing uh, full indoor, you know, got Jordan shoes and everything (laughs) like that. And it's like, hey, man, this is Division II football. We don't have all that stuff. Right. So, like, you have to start cutting out kids left and right. Even if – even if – they can play, you still got to sit there and say, well, is it realistic? Right. You know, and I I couldn't imagine coaching right now at the FBS level, especially with all this NIL money, like then it's a bidding war, you know, like the coach you talked about from Akron, like he has to go get three kids. But if Akron doesn't have NIL money, they they may not get their top three kids. Mm -hmm. He may have to get you know, his second tier of kids because they, they're not as focused on the money or they don't need money, you know, NIL money or whatever, whatever that situation is. Right. You know, luckily, like I said, that, that portion of it hasn't really hit division two, but you know, we lose our kids if we do to FCS schools. Right. So that's the big thing is like any of our good players, you know, most division twos get plucked up by, the FCS school, so right. Mm-hmm. Well, because like coaches tell me, it's changed so much. They used to come recruit kids when they come visit campus. You're selling the campus. You're selling this. Now when they get there, they the first thing they ask the coach is, "How much am I going to make? Like, how much money am I mm-hmm. about to make?" And then they try to sell the school. So if they can make them happy by saying, 
whatever they're legally allowed to say. I don't even know how it works anymore with the collective and all that stuff. Whatever, however they're legally allowed to tell them. Then they go, okay, now what's your school look like? And if they don't like any of it, they leave because they can. And like you said, it's a bidding war now where it's it's not just the weight room you're selling anymore. It's not just this, this, and this. It is about, oh, can I make some money? Which is cool. I want them to make money, but now you now it's oh, yeah. now it's become free agency kind of. And then Yeah, because I mean at, like I can think back to, to my recruiting process and you know, by no means was I a <laughs> uh, uh, this blue chip prospect. Um, but like the things that I valued coming into a program, you know, can you set me up for life after football? You know, will you help me get better as a player? Will we win games? Like, I didn't care about the gear. I didn't care about, you know, this, this, this. Like, am I going to feel safe on campus? That's important. Am I going to get developed as a player? That's important. Am I going to have a chance to play? That's important. But now, like, kids will hit the portal and, you know, leave Alabama after winning a national championship to go to – you know, wherever and win four or five games, but they get some more NIL money because they're a big name. So like yep. what, what it's done is it kind of devalues the team's success at times. Yep. Yep. Or like you're a rotational player at Georgia, Alabama, and you win a national title, and you're like, well, I'm not playing enough. I don't have this. I'm going to go here. And then you go to said school. Maybe you're still a rotational guy, and now you're not winning a national title. I don't know about much people. I would have loved to have been a practice squad or a rotational player and win a national championship. Like That wouldn't have bothered me because I'm still touching the field here and there. I'm on special teams. I would love that. Nothing would have affected me at all. Well, it's like you said earlier. It's the instant gratification. Yeah. You know, it's the, you know, and and it is not every kid. I don't want to use a blanket statement. But, you know, there's kids just like there are coaches that feel that just because they've accomplished X, Y, Z, that they should be here. They should be doing this. They should do this and that, you know, and don't understand that, you know, six, seven years ago, the transfer portal wasn't really a thing. If you transferred in conference or you transferred same division, you were sitting out a year. Mm-hmm. You had to transfer down to be able to play. Right. So, like, it, it made kids have to say, all right, I'm going to Eastern Illinois. I'm going to stay here for four years, and I'm going to work my way up the depth chart or transfer down, you know, or something like that. Now it's like, well – after a semester, the kid's not playing. He's like, well, I'm going to transfer, you know, because yep. I, I need to be doing this, you know. But, you know, there's still a lot of kids, I believe, that that cut it and, and say, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna do this the old-fashioned way, you know, because when you look at the, the transfer portal, I haven't looked at it in the last couple of days, but, you know, say there's 4,500 kids in the transfer portal, you know, that's – that's still a small amount compared to, you know, I think there's between division one, two, and three, there's like 700 and something college football teams. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, if each team, if each team's carrying a hundred man roster and I'm awful at math, that's a lot of kids. Yep. 
So like 4,500 in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot of kids, but it's more than what you would think, you know, and that that's, I could, I could talk about that forever. You know, my, my, my favorite argument conversation is, you know, I'll talk to high school coaches and get the, well, the transfer portals ruining high school recruiting and, you know, that's a whole – we could do a whole podcast on that one because – I mean, I, it, that was the thought. Well, I asked people that too when – during because I started this podcast like right before COVID started. So I asked people that, like, is this going to affect high school? And some said it does, but it also doesn't. It, it did at first because of the COVID extra years. Yeah. But now we're kind of getting to the end tail of that. And that was the only thing. The transfer portal necessarily – didn't say it was affecting high school. It was the COVID extra years that were going to affect that. Um, I mean, you know more. I don't see it affecting high school too much because it just kind of depends. Some college coaches, like, I want the older guy because I want to coach the older guy. Cool. But I've also heard the other side of it where it's you got to make sure they match what you want to do. So when you get a kid that's been playing for three or four years, their muscle memory is going to go back to what they know and not what you're teaching them. You get a yeah. – you get a high school kid and you can mold that kid into what you need. Like the old school way before the transfer portal was you tra- you get these kids, you mold them. It creates a winning caliber football team. That's what you do. But like, again, you could get these kids, mold them. Something happens. They don't like they're gone. Now you're like, oh, I just now I don't know. That's just kind of what I see from it. Like I'm not, I'm not coaching division one big time kids, but like just from talking to people, that's just what's been happening. I mean, I don't see it affecting high school. Not too much. Yeah. I think, I think from being on both ends of it, I think what it ends, what it's ended up doing is it makes it tough. You know, if you have that one kid that you can kind of say, Hey, this kid's an FCS kid, this kid's, you know, this kind of kid, you know, and it, Five, six years ago, that kid's probably getting that FCS offer. Mm-hmm. But now with the transfer portal, that kid's probably going to end up being a Division II kid, you know, because the FCS schools are going to get the FBS bounce backs and so on and so forth. So, you know, obviously the elite of the elite guys, the five mm-hmm. stars, all those guys, it doesn't do anything to them. Doesn't really do anything to the kids that are truly Division II, Division three kids. Right. Who it affects is that middle – you know, hey, maybe he's an FCS kid. Maybe he's a Division Two kid. You know, those kids are the ones that kind of get pushed because, you know, if Alabama offers you, they think you're good. Right. But, like, there's Division Two schools that can compete with, you know, some of the FCS schools. Right. You know, on the field, recruiting, things like that. So, it's like, to me, from what I've seen, that, those are the kids that, you know, kind of get put in limbo and maybe – like I said, they were an FCS kid five, six years ago. They're now a Division Two kid this year. Right. You know, so. Yeah, I could see that for sure. But then you get to play college football, man. Like, not everybody gets to do that either. So, it's like. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, one thing I learned when I became a coach was to celebrate every kid, no matter where they go. Juco, Division Three, Division Two. And some people can make fun of it saying like, cause they make fun of division three. Some coaches are like, Oh, you're proud of your kid going division three. And I see that on Twitter and I'm like, why are you blasting this kid 
going to play college football. And I know it's Division Three; they're paying to go, but guess what? They're going to try it. They let's say they only last a year. They tried it. They're going to go to school and whatever. God bless them. They tried it. That's you can't say that for everybody. So at least a kid has the opportunity to play college ball because I coach kids that said Division One or bus. I'm like, eh, you're a Division Two kid, buddy. Like you're not going Division One. And that's the worst is then they go walk on and find out that it's too late. Then you try to tell them like, because I'm a jerk. I'm a jerk when it comes to that. I'm like, hey, I'll be the truth. You ain't division one. Like, I'm sorry. Well, well, what about FCS? Maybe, maybe. I said, but there's division two opportunities out there that you've never, that you don't even know about yet. Go research them. And you'll figure it out. And if you're smart enough, you'll get academic scholarships, maybe on top of athletic scholarship to help balance it out. And so I push academics big with these kids. I'm like, you can't rely on just getting an athletic scholarship. You may have to get both. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, though, like what outside of the the, the name of the institution, if you put two kids and you don't know the name of the kid or the school and you put that they're both paying $20,000 a year to go to school. Mm-hmm. And then you reveal everything. It's like, oh, well, this kid's paying $20,000 a year to go to Illinois. Mm-hmm. And this kid's paying $20,000 a year to go to a D3. Like, they're still paying to go to school. Right. You know, just because they, they get to put on, you know, a Big Ten helmet, they're still they're, their money still has to go to the institution, just mm-hmm. like the kid that puts on a Division three helmet. So, yep. you know, it's like I tell all the kids I recruit. Whether or not, you know, you want to come to Barton or maybe this place is for you, maybe it's not, you know, let me know how I can help you, you know, because it, it is such a small group of people that play college football. Yep. You know, and, and that's, you know, I tell kids all the time when they come in the door, you know, that first freshman meeting, I'm like, look around, you know, how many kids did you graduate with off the football team at your school? you know, 15, 20, 25, however big your high school is, how many of you went and played college football? Oh, two, three, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like, it's a very small population of people that get to do it. So, you know, I, I love the fact that you, you cheer on the guys regardless of where they go. Cause it's an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get mm-hmm. to play four more years of football, five more years of football and, you know, get, you know, possibly get some school paid for, or, you know, even if you are paying to go to school, you're still getting a degree mm-hmm. and, and setting yourself up for life. Yep. You know, it's better than the alternative of, you know, not being able to play football and having to go work a nine to five every day and, you know, wonder what if. Right. Cause, cause I was a young coach when that happened. And that's when I realized that I was an asshole. So I was going to tell him the truth. Mm-hmm. And, I tried to tell some of the kids, like, "Hey, you're not even Division Two. You're if you're going to play ball, really listen to this, some of these Division Three schools that are talking to you. And if your parents can, because some of these kids have the parents that can help, or you have academic scholarship." And I tried to tell them, like, "Okay," or and mainly, I guess the story is this: one kid wanted to go Division One, and I loved for him to go Division One. But I tried to tell him, "You, you ain't Big Ten Division One." Maybe Eastern Illinois Division One, but you ha- may have to walk on first. Like, and now you're going to take that risk of walking on. I- and I said, like you kind of alluded to, do you want to play, 
or do you want to wait for four years to play? You got to start weighing that. Like, if you can play right away, not go into as much debt, still, if you're going to pay to go to school one way or the other, pick the one that you're probably going to play and that you yeah. like. Um, and then I had another kid coach at the same school. He walked on, but then as he walked on, earned a partial scholarship, but he had the academic scholarships on top of it to help pay for it. And then all of a sudden, the next year starts earning more scholarship money and then gets full. So it's like his worked out. But that's, I don't, I don't want to say that's rare, but like, that's not everybody's story. <laughs> like, you can't look at that and say, oh, that's yeah. what I'm going to do. It's the right situation, right position. He was a kid that played tight end for us, was not a tight end in college. They put so much weight on him to make him a lineman. And that's why he was able to do that because he was doing that. If you're not willing to do those things, it's not going to work. And now he's kind of taking the coaching route. He's a GA at Ball State now. So, like, he, he turned to that. So, it just kind of but – but then the first time I saw really um, celebrating kids was Twitter years ago at a high school, Bolingbroke High School here. This coach has sent kids to colleges all over the place. But one thing he does is if it's Illinois Wesleyan, my kid's going to Illinois Wesleyan, and he will post it. They put a big thing on Twitter, loves it. My kid's going to North Dakota State. Puts exactly the same thing. I'm celebrating exactly the same. And that's when I realized I think I should do that too. If we have a kid go somewhere like, oh, he's going, he's going, he's going. And like you're so proud of them. And then if they need you, they can come talk to you. And so that's why I learned it. And I'm like, why Why do coaches on Twitter hate Division Three or make fun of it? I don't know. But they do. Yeah, I mean, it's just like everything in life. There's going to be people that cheer for – for success and there's going to be people that that prey on a downfall so it's definitely you know you, you hate to see it because you know these kids are happy and their coaches are happy and their families are happy communities schools and all that stuff and you know it's a big deal no matter where it is you know just like being a coach you know you could be coaching at a tiny 1a high school or mm-hmm. you know whatever your classifications are in your state with a, a roster of 30 doesn't diminish your success, doesn't diminish the work you put in. You know, you could win the state championship in the smallest classification in your state. Guess what? You won a state championship. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it's the same thing for a kid going to college, JUCO, NAIA, D3, D2, D1. Regardless, it's it's still college football. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's D3 kids I've seen that, I mean, there's been D3 guys make the NFL. And there's yep. been some D3 guys that I've watched, you know, that hit the transfer portal that are better than some Division II players. Yeah. It's like there's some Division II players better than some Division I players. Like, you know, don't diminish someone's success because maybe they're, you know, playing at – they're not playing at Alabama. They're playing at, you know, Johns Hopkins or something. Like, <laughs> the, kid, the kid's still going to enjoy their time if that's what they want to do. Well, like here where I live, I live in Naperville, you have uh, North Central College, and they're oh, yeah. about, they're going to their third like straight national championship this year. They are a big physical team. Their linemen are huge. They, they always have a big physical running back, and you look at them and you're like, they could probably go beat a much bigger team. Like, not a lot, but they could go and compete, and they have tons of players, and they just wallop people during the regular season. They'd be a team like 70-something to six. Like, they're just big. Oh, yeah. And you're like, that's Division Three. Like, 
I mean, look at the the kid from I want to say Mount Union or Whitewater, uh-huh. you know, the offensive lineman for the for the Broncos. Like, yeah, that guy's playing and starting in the NFL from a yeah. Division three school. Yep, like that kid, you know, said I'm going to pay to go to school, and is starting games in the highest level of football. So, yep. you know, just because that kid's going to Iowa Wesleyan or that kid's going to you know, North Central doesn't mean that that kid's not going to, you know, possibly, you know, make a lot of money playing football. It's just about you got to get opportunity. Well, like um, Peyton Thorne, when he was at Michigan State, he was at North Central first. He went there as a freshman, played there for a year, got a lot better. Michigan State saw it and offered him a scholarship. So he bumped up there, and it's like, see, he played good time. He played really good football for North Central. Michigan State saw it. Now, I know he didn't have a great season at Auburn. He went to the transfer and went to Auburn, but still, that's a Division three kid that went Division one. Oh yeah. Now, do you feel bad for North Central because they had to replace their quarterback? Sure, but I kind of didn't because I saw their team. I'm like, oh, you'll just put this kid in. Like, they're that Division three that can just you go. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like the kid at Missouri. Uh, you know, Cody Schrader played at Truman State. <clears throat> oh yeah. You know, yeah. Kid, kid crushed it at Truman State, and then. Finished eighth in the Heisman voting. Mm-hmm. Like finished eighth in the Heisman voting was playing Division two football two years ago. Right. You know we had a we had a kid from within our conference. You know this past after last season transferred. He's playing at South Carolina, starting games, playing. You know had a seventy five yard touchdown against Tennessee. Like, so why does it matter where these kids go right. to school? Because you know, circling back to the big conversation with the transfer portal, just because they go D3 that one year doesn't mean they're not going to end up – couldn't end up at a D2 FCS FBS program and, you know, make something out of it. So, you just got – it's like it's like coaching. You yeah. Know, you, it's not about where you start. It's about where you finish. Right. Um, to slowly wrap it up because we – like I said, rabbit holes. We jumped down a lot of rabbit holes. <laughs> I love to ask O-line – like if I ask O-line coach – especially with somebody like you that's coached at different schools and I've coached at different high schools. What's one of the first things you do when you walk into a room? Because culture is the buzzword, and I have yet to figure out a different word to use other than culture. But, like, how do you walk in and say, I got to set the standard or the tone for my group? Like, what's one of the first things you're doing to, like, say, I'm going to get these kids to pick up what I'm putting down as soon as I get there? Because you have been at different places. So, like, what's something that you're going to do right when you get there? Yeah, so uh, I've kind of been fortunate that each of my three situations, you know, I came in and the kids weren't there yet. So I had uh-huh. some time to kind of plan everything. And as, as corny as it sounds, I come in and I make just a simple PowerPoint and lay out what my expectations are, what my philosophy is as a coach, you know, and my belief system. Uh, and then I go through it. You know, I go into detail. I talk about the things, and, and and I use the same one every year. I do it, I do it before we start fall camp each mm-hmm. year. You know, so even here, like I said, been here two years now. I did the same PowerPoint last year when I got when I got here to the fall to the next spring to the next fall because I feel, you know, maybe I'm off with it. Culture and stuff isn't just built one semester. Right. 
You know, right. when I get here, I can say, well, I want things done this way. We're going to do things this way. You have to build that and continue to reiterate that. Uh-huh. And when there's guys that come and go and come and go, you got to continue to just reiterate that point consistently. Right. Um, you know, to the point where when I do this presentation again next fall, all my guys that return are going to know exactly what I want. Right. You know, so now I'm only speaking to the freshmen. And then when I get to the spring, the freshmen hear it again. When I get to the fall, they're hearing it. You know, so it's just a domino effect. You know, I talk about, I don't tell my guys that we have to be perfect. That's a big thing for me, mm-hmm. you know, because nobody's perfect, you know, and, and based on what you believe in, you know, not going to dive into that too much. Don't want to upset any people, but uh, nobody's perfect. Right. So I tell my guys, don't chase perfection. Just chase excellence. If you're chasing for excellence, you're going to, you're going to do just fine. Right. If you can look at yourself when you walk off the field and say, I gave everything I had, I'll live with that. Right. Whatever happens, happens, you know, and this year was actually kind of cool because I could see at times the culture taking over. Right. You know, I, I have a rule. We If meetings start at 7 o'clock, we're starting at 6.55. Mm-hmm. You need to be seated, notebook out, ready to roll before 6.55. So we did that long enough. If someone's walking in at 6, 6.56 and they, and they haven't communicated with me that they're going to be late. Right. Well, now I got, I got kids telling them, hey, man, get out. Go ahead. You know, you know the rules. You know what it is. Get out. You know, or we drill footwork every day, and I got older guys that can step in and be a second voice for me and help right. those younger guys. Right. You know, that's all culture of being able to talk to one another. I'm a big component on respecting one another. You know, it's not a – we don't have a system of, well, it's seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen. You know, it's all of us are one group. We're all going to help each other get better. You know, because I tell my guys, like, yeah, you might be a four-year starter, but if you get hurt, I got to have this next guy ready to play. Right. And guess what? At the end of the year, when we win a conference championship, we all get a ring. Mm-hmm. But if you're selfish and you don't want to help the guy behind you get better because he, he he's behind you and you feel like you got to focus on everything for you and we, we don't accomplish that goal, then what? Right, right. So, you know, the culture aspect of it, I think I think you just have to continue to reiterate what's important right. and, and not lose track of it because you can get caught up in all the extra stuff. Mm-hmm. You can get caught up in the, well, this is how we're going to do footwork and this is how we're going to do this and this is how we're going to do that, you know, and, and I think kids just need structure. Yep. You know, they need yep. to know we're meeting at this time. This is the meeting expectations. This is the practice expectations. You know, we don't walk on the field. We jog everywhere we go. You know, when we're drilling, we're not talking and chit-chatting. We're, we're, we're practicing. Right. You know, when we're in meetings, we're not talking. We're watching film. We're asking questions. I'm a big question-response guy. I say, hey, why would you make this combo call? I expect you to answer. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the room has got to be able to answer. You know, so I don't think I have like a – true just here's the culture of the room i think i just kind of 
I set expectations mm-hmm. and make them understand that this is why or this is how we're going to do something, you know. But I also tell them I'm open for conversations. Yep. Like I believe, in my opinion, one of the most naive things you can do as a coach is feel that it's your way or no way. Yep. Um, yep. You know, and I'm not saying you got to compromise beliefs or things like that, but, you know, if a kid says, coach, maybe I can't skip pull that well. I got a trap pull to be able to run power. Well, if he can do it and he can do it effectively, then do it. Right. You know, so uh, I think your, your culture starts with how you communicate with your players, the, the relationships you build with them. And you just got to know when to, when to get after them, when not to get after them. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big get your face, dog cuss you do all that stuff because I feel like after long enough, kids don't take to it. Right. Right. But if you save it and you use it when you need to use it, you know, I've had a couple of my guys be like, Oh coach, I know you're on one today. <laughs> all right. Let me make sure, let me make sure, that, let me make sure the freshmen don't mess up. Right. You know? So to me, that's culture. Yep. But just saying like, we gotta, we gotta do this. We gotta play fast. We gotta play physical. If you don't define what those things are or what they mean to you, kids aren't going to know what them what that means so yeah as i do something corny and just make a a five slide powerpoint and i introduce myself i introduce i talk about where i've been what i've seen you know i don't i don't talk about my playing experience i don't bring up why well, coach i've coached eight all conference players three this four. if kids want to know that stuff they can google it mm-hmm. or they can ask me but right. I, that's not how i'm going to present myself right and then it's it's um a thing i've learned it's ever changing or it's ever evolving so you still have your core expectations but sometimes you may have Mm -hmm. to adapt especially well at least for me at high school because you're inheriting kids i don't get to pick you're inheriting so you kind of have to tailor but you don't i don't give up expectations i might change hey uh this kid cannot skip pull he can't do this, so we have to be more of a dive team instead of the – or, you know, that stuff is oh, yeah. whatever it is. But you always have your set things. Like, I started doing it this year. I have this PowerPoint, talks about what it is to be an offensive lineman, and that's what it is. And they're always going to see it, and I always got to say the same things because kids nowadays are more triggered in their brains by buzzwords. Like, wide zone, a guy – a coach told me, push the world away from you. And I started telling my kids that, and he says, it's just going to stick in their head, push the world away from you, push the world away from you. And it's, Oh, then he goes, then if you could steal that word with a different run blocking scheme, it's going to fit the same thing. I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. And I was like, that's why you guys are smarter than me. (laughs) So I'm like, I did not think of that. And I'll give my guys freedom. You know, I'm a big word association guy and, Yep. You know, things like that, like buzzwords and things like that. We're, we're huge on those. And, you know, sometimes I give my guys freedom to think of things, mm-hmm. you know, and say like, all right, how can I simplify what I'm saying to you right now? You know, if you had to tell, if you had to repeat what I just said, how could you simplify? Right. So then they take ownership in it. So now they're more invested in it. They're going to, it's going to stick to them more than me just saying, Hey, you know, when we're working a combo here, you're just going to pick it up, put it down attack the crotch, you're going to do this. Hey, it's wide zone. You're going to get your backside knee to the the crotch, backside hand to the sternum. You're going to press into – like, I let them kind of simplify some of that, Mm -hmm. you know, so then that way they can, you know, 
have part of it and they're like, all right, I'm going to remember this more. Yep. You know, I tell my guys the four things we got to do, we got to be able to play fast. We got to be able to play physical. We got to be able to play relentless and we got to play with swagger. Uh-huh. You know, and I, I yeah. break each one of those down fast. How, how, how can you beat the D lineman from point A to point B? Yep. Can you play physical? Can you sit there and, and withstand the grunt work? Digging out a three technique, you know, having a solo block on inside zone on a, on a front side three technique and keeping them from falling in for a play. Yep. You know, can you play relentless? Can you, can you give that extra effort? You get the second level. Are you trying to finish blocks? Mm-hmm. Or are you just positioning? You know, are you trying to put defenders on their back? Or are you just trying to, you know, get a plus on the play because you, you blocked it? Yep. You know, and then, and like I said, you got to play with swagger. I mean, offensive line is the most unique position in football, in my opinion. Yes. Yes, it is. It is, it is the most unnatural uh, position that you can play. Yep. You're, you're, going backwards at times against guys that are better athletes than you and having to turn your back to the most important thing in football. And that's the football. Yep. So, you know, it is such an unnatural position to play. So with that being said, can you own that moment? Can you own that? You are the baddest dude on the field. Do you have confidence in yourself? Game in, game out, play after play that you're better than the guy across you. And if you do that and you believe it, whether or not it's true, you're going to play like it. And to me, that's half the battle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. I'm going to steal that and say it to my kids. I don't have the biggest lineman, but I'm going to say, like, if you believe in it and you get your ass kicked, but you still believe in it, I'll respect you a little more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I I, I played this these last two years. Uh, My center – uh, heck of a football player, two-time all-conference player, you know. But he was uh, maybe six six one on a good day. But when we needed to reach a two-island wide zone, he could reach a two-island wide zone. Yep. But, like, yep. that was his thing. He knew I could look at him and be like, hey, can you reach this guy? Oh, yeah, coach, I got him. Mm-hmm. Like, that was him. That was his swagger was yep. you're not going to out-athlete me. Yeah, you might be able to – if I have to block you solo at, and you're 6'2", 320 pounds, and i got to solo block you enough, you might get me. But you're not going to beat me when we run wide zone. Yep. I had a kid just like that where he played guard, he was smaller, undersized. Like, if he goes plays Division three, he's not a lineman. He's going to be a linebacker. Like, this is what mm-hmm. it's going to be. If our tackle was struggling with a speed guy, he would come over and be like, Coach, you better put my ass at tackle next play or I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> and I'd be like, go. And he would do it and, he, and make sure that guy did not get past him on anything whatsoever. And then he would look at the guy he switched with. See, it's not that hard. <laughs> to like, <laughs> Or like last year as a junior, he had like a nerve thing going on here. So he had a brace on. He played the game with one arm. His arm was taped and braced so much it couldn't move. But he goes, if you take me out, I'm, you ain't taking me out. So he would pass block and just use one arm to, like, keep him away. Because he's like, you Dang. ain't getting past me. And he did it. And I have, I'd have, i have to find the film again. You could just see his arm is just white with tape and this brace. <laughs> it can barely do this. And he's like, but I'm playing. I'm still playing. Uh, this year's a senior dislocated – or a 
his shoulder came out of place the last regular season game, and he tried to go back in and not be able to move it. And we're like, hey, get back here for a second. Because <laughs> he was just that kid, like, I'm going back in. Because that, oh, yeah. that kid cannot do what I'm doing. I need to go back out there. And I'm like, you're going to make a great Division three linebacker coach happy one day, but get your ass out <laughs> because we can't do this. <laughs> you love kids like that. Oh, yeah. You could. You always sit there and say, if I have a team full of those kids, yeah, we may not look the part, but you know their their effort and their attitude is, you know, infectious. Yeah. So I said that all the time. If we had, if I had, I loved my other linemen, and then I had some bigger linemen. Like I had a six four kid. I'm like, if I could just, or a younger kid that's really tall. I have a sophomore. He's six five, like three hundred pounds, but if but you, I got to get him right. You know, he's a, I call him a COVID kid. They're still trying to figure out how to work in society. Oh, yeah. If I could take that lineman, his way of doing things and just put into that kid's body, he'd be a college football player. Like, oh yeah, more than division three, but I got to get him right. So like you said, if I could just have 11 of those or put into bigger bodies, we're golden. Golden. Oh yeah. Uh, well, Coach, I appreciate you being on here. It's late for everybody, but I appreciate you coming on so much. I, w- I like to end it with the culture part. I-, I love that stuff more than scheme sometimes to get them to play. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they if they believe in you and believe, you know, what you're talking about, you know, I, I heard, uh, who was it? I think Deuce Staley said it. You know, I don't, I don't need my guys to run through a wall for me. I want guys that run through the wall with me. Mm. And yep. and I think if if you can get your guys to believe that you're there with them, that you you're you have their interest in mind and you're a voice for them to maybe the offensive coordinator or the head coach, you know, or that they're being heard, man, that that'll do more than being able to sit up there and draw up everything on the board. Right. And, you know, I, I by no means claim to be an expert at, at culture building and X's and O's and stuff. I'm, I'm still just a young coach trying to figure it out just like the rest of us. Um, but, you know, if, if I can get my guys here at Barton college to, to buy into what I'm doing and, and play for me and do everything the best they can, I'll live with the results. Well, you'll get good results that way. I believe. I think oh, you yeah. will. Um, well, Coach, again, I appreciate you being here. Dropped a lot of knowledge there, but I appreciate you so much. Well, I appreciate you having me. It was a good time, and you know, if you ever you ever want me back on again, I'll I'll be glad to come back on. You'll be back on. I get people on twice. You'll be back on. Okay. Perfect. <laughs>